We're back from India. The last remnants, Sue and I got back on Sunday of this last week, and we're still adjusting. But we're here, and we're glad to be back. We're glad to have gone, too. So here we are in Mark chapter 9 and verse 14. And when they came to the disciples, uh, speaking about Jesus and the three, uh, Peter, James, and John, when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd about them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up and greeted him. And they asked him, verse 16 of Mark 9, what are you discussing with them. And one of the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son, for he has a dumb spirit, and whenever it seizes him, it dashes him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. And I asked his disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him, and when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy. He fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has he had this? From childhood. It has often cast him to the fire and to the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have pity on us and help us. Jesus said to him, if you can. All things are possible to the one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe. Help my unbelief. In verse 28, the bottom, later on the disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind can be driven out only by prayer and by fasting. So it's a story we're all familiar with. <clears throat> the Bible is meant primarily to teach us about God's story. <clears throat> but it's also meant to teach us about ourselves, about our own stories. Properly understood, we are meant to see in every story of the Bible our own story. So whenever we read anything, anywhere, in the main characters or the side characters, in the heroes and the villains, we're meant to see our own stories in their stories. It's my story, it's your story, as I am now, as I once was, or perhaps as I could become in the heroes. You see these people doing great things for God in the face of discouragement and fantastic odds. That's you. That's me, as I am now, as I once was, or maybe as I could become. But also when you see people fail in the Bible, have miserable failures, that's your story too and mine, as I am now, as I once was, or as I could become. So the stories are your stories. They tell us about God, but they tell us about ourselves. This story here is going to tell us something about ourselves. It's about a guy who's got a lot of problems, who has a big problem. Anybody have a lot of problems or a big problem? We all got problems, don't we? I got my problems, you got your problems, but we all have problems, that's for sure. Problems, problems. We got problems. What kind of problems did this guy have? He had family problems. Anybody here have family problems? 
Well, we like to keep those private, don't we? But chances are, you know, we all have problems. We, a lot of us have family problems. What kind of family problems? This guy was a parent with, uh, with a teenager who he didn't know what to do with. Some of us have had that experience, haven't we, as parents of teenagers, that we don't know what to do with them. Uh, and if you don't have that problem, if you have little kids, you will have that problem. And if you're older, maybe you have had that problem. If you never had kids, you were a teenager, and you remember once you were a problem. <laughs> Isn't that true? So problems are out there. This man has a problem in his family. And not unlike many a person of faith, he seeks help from the church, from the leadership of the church with his problem. That's what people do. It says in verse 17, I brought my son to the disciples. Do you know people go to the church oftentimes with their problems? Far more than they go to psychiatrists and psychologists and professional counselors. If there are behavioral emotional problems, you know what the first stop with most people? Overwhelmingly, really, 60 to 75% first approach the leadership of the church. Think about your own experience or your extended family. You talk to someone in the church, and studies have demonstrated this, and hopefully uh, the leadership, if they can't handle it, they refer you on. And if they can't handle it, they do. So this guy goes to the leadership of the church, and unfortunately, he doesn't get the help he needs. I brought my problem to your disciples, but they couldn't help. Do you see it there? Verse 18, they were not able to help. <laughs> Remember, their story is our story. Have you ever brought a problem to anybody in leadership in the church and they were utterly unable to help? It happens all too frequently, doesn't it? I mean, I call the church, but no one ever gets back. And even when they get back, ah. Or the problem is maybe could be local, could be conference, could be the church, worldwide church. There's all kinds of problems out there with the church. I used to work in this office, and you should hear some of the problems that people call about. They don't like this. They don't like that. Service is too long. It's too short. It's too dull. Uh, the music, too loud. I don't know. It's too new. Uh, pastor never gets back with me. No one ever returns my call. What's wrong with the conference up there? What's wrong with the general conference? How come they're not ordaining women out there? What's wrong with our church here? <clears throat> I've heard people say, if they don't ordain women, you know, this past summer they had a big vote in the church, for those of you not aware, whether to ordain female pastors. And they voted it down. And some people say, if they don't vote to ordain women, I'm leaving the church because I can't be alone to church who doesn't follow the Bible. And there are those on the other side say, if they do <laughs> ordain women, I'm out of here <laughs> because I don't think that's right. Oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy. So um, we have a, a friend uh, who belongs to the Roman Catholic Church. And we told about what's going on in the Adventist church about the ordination of women. And she said, wow, that's amazing. At least your church took a vote on it. In the Catholic church, they're not even near ready to take a vote on whether to ordain women. <laughs> they're, they're hundreds of miles away from that one. 
So at least, all right, so, so it is. So there are problems with church leadership. The church leadership is flawed. Don't we know that? But the church is God's appointed agency. It's supposed to lead us to the Lord of the church. But be careful not to put your trust in the church. The Bible never says trust the church. Do you know that? What does the Bible say? Trust the Lord of the church. Don't trust the deacon, not the deacon, not the elder, not the preacher, not the teacher, not the pastor, not the choir leader. Trust in the Lord. We should teach our children to love the Lord and like the church, not to love the church. Why? Because the church, sooner or later, guess what, is going to let you down. Shall the unfaithfulness of some make void the faithfulness of God? So says the apostle in Romans 3. He says, God forbid, let it not be so. Let God be true, though every man prove to be false. So even if there are troubles and struggles, and there are, look beyond to the Lord of the church. So leadership is unable to help this man with his problem, and he does something very wonderful. He goes to the Lord of the church. He doesn't give up. A lot of people just give up. When the church doesn't help, they say, well, I'm not going to dock. I'm not going to dock in the door of that church anymore. I ain't going back. There's no help there. Nobody cares about me. Have you ever felt like that? A lot of us do. I have felt like that. In fact, when I was 22, 23, I went to the, to the church. I was experiencing the existential crisis of my life. I was a member of the Roman Catholic Church, but this is not exclusive to the Catholic Church. <laughs> Adventist Church lets down its, its people too, in a major way, just like all institutions. <clears throat> I went to the church to help me with this deep, deep crisis I was going through, and I just uh, couldn't get an appointment. They were too busy taking care of something else. They were too busy to see me. I needed to talk to someone really, really bad. And I went to the church, and I just got the runaround. I thought, oh, it happens, doesn't it? And uh, sometimes when that happens, people just kind of throw out the whole thing. Some people reject the Lord of the church when the church lets them down. Be careful not to do that. That's one of the devices of the enemy. Because when people give up on church, the next step is giving up on the Lord. The people say, well, I'm not giving up on Christ, but the church. <laughs> the thing is, more often than not, not all the time, but more often than not, if a person quits on church, they may quit on God himself. It doesn't always happen, but sometimes it happens. It's one of the devices of the devil. So this guy doesn't do that, fortunately. <clears throat> he goes to the Lord in verse 19. Uh, let's see what it says here. I asked your disciples, verse 18, to cast out the evil spirit, and they were not able. And he answered them. He goes to Jesus Christ. He goes to the Lord of the church. And the Lord says, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? I love <clears throat> that um, <laughs> the Lord calls it the way it is. He comes, he's all discouraged, 
he's all depressed. The church has let him down. And uh, he's about ready to give up on his faith. And the Lord says, oh, faithless generation. You know, it's those type of people who are to come to Christ. People who are lacking in faith. People who are discouraged. People who are about to give up. The Lord of the church will never give up on a person who is hanging on by a little tiny string of faith. You need to remember that. I need to remember that. Oh, faithless generation. It wasn't just them back there. It's us right here. That is us. We are the faithless generation. We are the discouraged ones who sometimes feel like throwing up our hands and saying, that's it. But the Lord says, I understand. And of such is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the spiritually poor. The ones who are beggars when it comes to their faith. The, one who, the ones whose faith is not what it ought to be. Whose life practice is not what it ought to be. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And he says, uh, how long am I to bear with you? How long am I to be with you? You know what the answer to that question is? Forever. Isn't that beautiful? He says, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Even though we forsake him, even though we, we wonder if we can go on at times. He always goes on. The Lord is long-suffering. And what is it that endures forever? It is the faithfulness of the Lord that endures forever. Not our faithfulness. We are unfaithful. God is always faithful. All right. So he comes in verse 21, and the Lord says, how long has he had it? How long has he had it? Let's see here. And he said, from childhood, verse 22, it has often cast him to the fire and the water to destroy him. <clears throat> but if you can do anything, please help us. How long has he had it? Um, there's a big discussion as you look at the literature here about what this kid had. You know, was he demon-possessed? Did he have psychological problems? Did he have a mental illness? Or was this true devil possession? Well, I don't want to get into that right now. I do believe that there, is, uh, there are forces of evil that are, that are wicked in high places and there is such a thing as satanic agencies that are unseen. I do believe also there is mental illness. There is both. It's not either or. It is both end. Don't want to necessarily get into what this kid had, except to say he, this kid was under attack. It says, it says of this kid, uh, he's had it all his life. And it has often cast him into the fire and to the water to destroy him. There are forces out there that want to destroy. That want to destroy your faith and my faith. That want to destroy this church. That want you to give up. And it says of this poor teenage boy whose father was overwhelmed with the problem. It says it often throws him into the fire and into the water. Isn't it interesting, the fire and water? Are there any things more opposite than fire and water? They're opposites. Fire and water. It's like tall and short, fat and skinny, darkness and light, fire and water. 
It's like the whole spectrum, which tells me that the devil will use everything. He used fire and water with this kid to try to destroy him. He used everything and anything to destroy us, you and me. And uh, the curious thing about fire and water is, uh, are fire and water bad? Fire and water aren't bad. They're good. I mean, did anybody use any water today? We all did. Every single one. Did anybody use any fire today? Yes, we all did. Fire and water. These are good things, which tells me also that the enemy of God and man not only uses bad things to draw us away, but he uses good things. Isn't that amazing? He uses good things. What kind of good things? He uses, like, good things. Money is a good thing. Money is a good thing, isn't it? Good. Everybody likes money. And we can do a lot of good with money. But money has been the downfall. It's not money that's the root of evil. It's the love of money. Sometimes people get too much money, they get to love it, and it could cause them to withdraw from the kingdom. Education. Is that good? Very good. I encourage as much education as possible. But education can sometimes get in the way of a relationship with God. Some people are too smart for their own good. They're so smart, they think, oh, now I know that God really doesn't exist. You can't believe the Bible because of this, that, and the other. That's a good thing, but the devil can use even a good thing. He has used bad things and good things. And uh, that's what this portion teaches us here. Um, He uses all things to destroy us. That is what the enemy of God and man is about. He wants to destroy faith. He wants you to give up and me to give up on the church. And more importantly, he wants us to give up on the Lord of the church. So he's got us, you see. So the guy, the guy is there and he says in verse 22, if you can do anything, have pity on us and help and help. Help us if you can do anything, which tells us he's almost given up on God, too. Not just the church, but on God. And then the beautiful response in verse 23, all things are possible to the one who believes. All things are possible to the one. I love that verse in the Bible. All things are possible to the one who believes. Yeah, one of the translations says, the question isn't whether I can help. All things are possible to the one who believes. The question isn't if I can help. The question is, do you believe I can help? The question with your problem and with my problems isn't that God is unable to help. The question is, do we believe that God is able to help? Do you see the difference? Do we believe? And the guy has this classic response. He says, I believe, I believe. But he says, But help my unbelief. It's a wonderful confession of faith. It's one of the best prayers in all of the Holy Writ. Because it's true. It's transparent. It's not phony. Don't you hate phonies? This guy says, yeah, I believe I have faith, but part of me doesn't have faith. I trust, but part of me doesn't trust. I... I I embrace your teaching, but part of me doubts your teaching, too. 
Is that the way it really is at times? I mean, honestly. That is who we are. That is the neighborhood we live in. The truth is we're part human being, part beast. We're part people of faith. We are part people of doubt. That is the human condition. And if you don't believe that, just look at your life over the last week, the consistency of your experience. You have had, some of us have had some high spiritual highs this last week, this last month. Wow, that's beautiful. To God be the glory. But in that same month, there have been miserable failures. I don't know what they are. And I'm glad I don't know what yours are. But I know you had your failures, your utter spiritual disappointments because that's the way it is we're a mixture of both belief and unbelief of faith and unfaith of trust and of doubt that is the human condition don't be too hard in yourself as your, if your faith isn't what, what it ought to be there is no such thing as perfect faith in any one person or any one family There's no such thing as perfect faith or perfect love or perfect churches or perfect husbands or wives or pastors or anything like that. Not this side of the kingdom. Perfection only exists in heaven itself. Christ was the only one with perfect faith. The burden of scripture is to put our puny faith in a perfect God, in a good God. Our faith is tiny. Sometimes we get, oh, I need more faith. I got to pray hard. I got to kind of... With muscles. When I was a kid, we used to have these contests. Who had the biggest muscles, you know? Or these teenage boys I hang out with. We would lift weights and we'd do pull-ups and we'd write, like, wow, my mu- look at that. My muscle is bigger than your muscle. And we'd try to outdo each other because we were the strongest, you see. Sometimes we do that in matters of faith, too. We think, well, if I pray more, if I give more, if I witness more, if I do this, do that, then my faith will be what it, what it should be and God will answer my prayers like I want him to answer. That is the wrong emphasis. In the scripture, the emphasis is never on our subjective faith. The emphasis is upon where we're putting our faith. We only need faith the size of a a mustard seed. I remember Sue's, your children's story. You can put on your fingernail, like, I don't know, 100 mustard seeds or more than that. It's tiny, tiny, tiny mustard seeds. You only need to have a tiny, tiny faith in a big, big God. So that's the emphasis, never upon, oh, is my faith as big and as good as it should be? No. Where is your faith placed? It's placed in a, in a God for whom nothing is impossible. And here's the beautiful news about faith. I love this thought. God requires that we have faith. But most of us think, well, I don't have enough faith. But the beautiful thing is that God gives to us the very thing he requires of us. Faith is a gift. We don't manufacture faith. God gives us faith, just like repentance. We don't all of a sudden work up ourselves into a big dither so we can repent. God gives us the gift of repentance. And we repent because he requires, but that which he requires, he gives. He gives us repentance. He, gives, he even gives us righteousness. What does God require to get into heaven? Perfect righteousness, 4.0. You know what that is, 4.0, all you students? 
And if you get one A minus from kindergarten through university, PhD and EDD and all the rest, if you get one A minus, you miss the 4.0. The problem is before we even get into kindergarten, we're, we're, we're out of the running. We have fallen short of the glory of God. He requires righteousness, and we don't have it to give. But without it, we won't get into heaven. But he says, don't worry, I will give you the righteousness you need to get into heaven. It is my righteousness. You have to trust and believe that it is yours by faith. Aha. Same thing with faith. He gives to us that which he requires of us. Isn't that a beautiful thought? It's a beautiful reality. God gives to you and me what he requires. And faith's merit is not within, but it's without. It's in its object. So after the guy says, I believe, he has an honest, he has an honest reflection. It's so beautiful to see honesty. Don't you hate pretense in people? Don't you hate people claiming to be something that they're really not? Jesus says, oh, faithless generation, because he knows the guy is faithless at times. He knows that you and I are faithless at times. But he still says, bring them to me. Bring them to me. Come unto me. All you who are faithless, all you who are weary and heavy laden. That's the way it is. Blessed are the poor. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven, right? Beautiful. So, um... He comes, his father, with the problem child. He says, look, I believe, but part of me doesn't believe. Help my unbelief. And the Lord, in a merciful way, drives that spirit out, and it is, he is healed. This child is healed. And the end of the story, in verse 28, when they're off by themselves out of the crowd, his disciples asked him privately, how come we couldn't cast out that demon? How come we couldn't get rid of it? How come we couldn't get the job done? We're the leadership of the church. And he said, this, this kind comes out only by fasting and prayer. This kind, uh, in order to deal with certain problems, you need to be immersed in prayer and immersed in fasting. My last point here has to do with the idea that God has his part and we have our part. You have your part, God has his part. Sometimes we get the two confused. My part is to trust that God can do the, the impossible. That's your part and my part. He says, with God, all things are possible. Mine is to somehow believe that all things are possible. But God's part is to do the impossible. You don't have to do the impossible. God does the impossible. We believe that ours is to believe and to trust that he can do what he says he will do in his own time and according to his own will. You see? Um, ours is to pray. Have you heard the old axiom? And man, remember in your room that sign, pray as if everything depended upon it? What is that little sign over your desk? Pray as if everything depended upon it, and then act in such a way as if there's no, no such thing as prayer. We should pray to God for that which we believe to be his will, as if everything depended upon that prayer. But then we should do 
as if there was no such thing as prayer. It kind of reminds me of the kid who's praying, 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 praying to pass the exam. Oh, oh, oh I got to pray, 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 because I failed the last one. If I don't pass this one, I'm going to be thrown out of the program. He prays and prays and prays and flunks the test, and he goes to his pastor. He says, I prayed like crazy. Well, did you do anything else? You got to pray and study. Don't just study without praying. Don't just pray without studying. You got to do the both of them. Work and pray, you see. Ours is to pray and God's part is to receive our prayers, to hear our intentions, and in the providence of his own beautiful ways, to grant us according to his will. So I'm telling you, I'm challenged by this story because I think my prayers are so paltry. My prayers are just so pathetically few. You ever feel like that yourself? You know, we pray now and again. I pray. I pray all the time. I really do, but I really don't. <laughs> Sometimes I think about things, but I think thinking about it is praying about it. It's not different, isn't it? I think about, uh, it's as if God is calling us to a deeper, to a deeper place when it comes to matters of prayer. He's calling us to a childlike simplicity. Some of us saw that over in India where there's a, there's a different kind of quality of prayer over there. They pray about all kinds. They get in the car and they pray. Before they leave the house, they pray. Before they get up in the morning, they pray. They go to bed, they pray. They pray, they pray, they pray. And it's a sweet little prayer. Uh, they pray about things I think they don't need to pray about. And I, I, but maybe I do need to pray about. And then I pray about things... I don't know, it's backwards. So, to me, it's sort of a call to a deeper. Mine is to pray, ours is to pray, and give it to God to do the impossible. Why? Because it's true. All things are possible to the one who believes. I believe. You believe. But I disbelieve. <laughs> and so do you. I believe, help thou my unbelief. You believe. And of such is the kingdom of heaven. He invites us to come as we are. False, faithlessness, to come as we are, and he receives us just as we are. Weak, very foolish at times, disobedient. Yes, yes, yes. And he says, come, give to me your joys, your sorrows. Talk to me, because with God, all things are possible. So whatever the problem that may be on your heart heavy today, it is still true for you, for me. Uh, the tendency is to give up on the church and even to give up on God. Don't do that. The devil's out to destroy you. Come as you are, O oh, faithless generation, you and me. Of such is the kingdom. I want to close our service here with a challenge to all of us in, in, in my closing prayer. So I'd like for you to join with me, please, just now. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we are challenged by this little story because we see ourselves in the story. This man's story is our story in many ways. If not now, maybe it was yesterday or perhaps tomorrow. We are 
the man. We believe, but part of us disbelieves. We have faith, but part of us lacks faith. We have trust, oh, but we doubt. But the call is to to a deeper level of prayer and commitment. And uh, we come just now and pray that you would nudge us to a, a deeper level. I pray that for myself, and I know I'm not the only one in this sanctuary who needs to believe and to trust in a deeper way and to pray in a more simplistic and profound way. So in the quiet of this moment, hear our prayers as we give to you our belief and as we give to you our unbelief. And as we pray for a deeper infilling, thank you for loving us just as we are. We receive your love today, and we thank you. In the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen.